Barbara, thank you. Um, I'm just going to kick off actually and thank you for inviting us to share this presentation with you today. Um, I'm just going to speak for a few moments um, just to give a little bit of background to the Education Beacon Project programme and then to Hannah who will walk you through the Telling Tales project that we ran last year. Um, so English Heritage welcomes over 300,000 education visitors each year um, and our education visits policy seeks to inspire children, young people and adult learners to enjoy, understand, value and care for its historic for our historic environment so that they can become its guardians for it in the future. We have a long established core programme. Um, we offer free educational visits for a wide range of learners at over 400 sites. And in addition, we offer a number of expert led discovery visit sessions that are, or at least were before COVID, interactive, hands on, um, and immersive sessions led by site staff or volunteers and designed to help create unique and memorable learning experiences that really bring a topic to life. As a wider team, we've always contributed um, to larger organisational plans um, and are committed to identifying projects that can be um, seen as shining lights and examples um, for us to show off really our education work. Um, in 2016, for example, um, the year of the Norman um, that commemorated the 950th anniversary of the Battle of Hastings, we provided a number of education um, engagement opportunities for schools. And more recently, um, the fantastic roundhouse at Beeston Castle, which is a very small picture you can see there. And this wonderful structure um, provides now an immersive environment for education visitors to explore prehistoric life and explore expand their learning outside the classroom. As Matt Thompson mentioned earlier, um, last year we began working in a slightly more um, sort of um, organisation to organisation wide themes and we've aligned our beacon projects to that. Um, so with 2019 being telling tales, the myths, legends and folklore of England, um, I will now hand over to Hannah um, to share the details of how we engage young people with our sites through this um, and for them inspired uh, their creative writing. Thanks Kate. Um, so basically um, the Telling Tales project, um, the, well the Education Beacon project for that we started to follow was that we had regional activity um, happening across the country and a national competition as well. Um, so just to give you a brief um, look at how that looked like over, over time, um, this wasn't something that happened overnight, it was quite a complex mm -hmm. undertaking. Um, but it was a chance for us to engage with schools at our sites in a new way um, beyond typical school visit experiences. So regional engagement over a longer period of time. Um, it was a chance for students to engage with the stories, the myths, the legends inspired by our site um, and encourage them to create their own um, stories themselves. And um, so for our regional activity, um, they were supported by writers in residence. Um, but we also reached a lot of students across the country through our national competition. And um, so I'll go through and talk about that. And before I do, I should sort of shout out um, to a lot of other um, colleagues um, in, in this project. Um, it was a far-reaching and complex project. As I said, it had lots of different elements to it. It encouraged a lot of interdepartmental working. So we were working with colleagues that we hadn't potentially worked with before um, very much. Um, and that was actually a really good chance for us um, to develop our working relationship with a lot of different people across the organisation, which was fantastic. 
Um, I'll start off with the national competition, just walk you through that very quickly. Um, basically, it was a writing competition open to all four, five to 14 year olds in the UK. And we had three age categories um, and entries were, as I said before, myths and legends inspired by EH sites. Um, and we were asking for them to be in five, no, well, no more than 500 words um, and lots of online assets that have been discussed today. So Mary was mentioning the interactive map and we've had reference as well from Owen um, to our YouTube videos. And we were able to signpost um, people to these resources and um, to help help inspire their entries. Um, and we had some fantastic results. Um, lots of the themes and genres that came up. I mean, I could go on for ages about these, um, but we had quests, we had ghost stories, we had good versus evil, love and loss, superheroes, magic and mystery. We had lots to do with friendship as well. Um, and as you can see here, these are all sites that were used. Um, so we've got Caswick Castle, we've got Old Serum, Waverley Abbey, um, various different places across across England, um, which was fantastic to see. Um, the competition at a glance, um, we had over, well, we had over 500, we had 580 entries. Um, we had three judges, including our CEO, which was fantastic. Um, and we had some winners, obviously, um, and they won a myriad of prizes, <laughs> um, which was really great. Um, and we had a pretty even spread um, of sites being used as inspiration, um, as well as a lot of our free sites as well, um, which was lovely to see. We had sort of Stanton Drew, which has already been mentioned. That was a very popular site. Um, Arthur Stone, various different prehistoric um, monuments as well being used, which was really lovely for us to see and something that we probably naively didn't really expect. Um, but that, that was really lovely as well. Um, in terms of feedback, um, key, theme, key themes that came out of that were that teachers really valued teachers and students and parents really valued um, this way of engaging with with us with English heritage from wherever they were um, they wanted to get creative um, and this gave them the opportunity to do so and a lot of them sort of fed it into or a lot of teachers fed it into their curriculum work so myths and legend writing does come up on the national curriculum is is taught um, at sort of primary level um, some teachers to that end used the competition as a project at the end of the school year. So we launched it two weeks before the summer holidays um, and we ended two weeks after the summer holidays had ended. Um, and some teachers actually set the competition as homework over the holidays, um, which was something that we hadn't really expected, but you know, it, it worked really well. Um, but as far as the winners are concerned or were concerned, they were actually most excited about being able to take their class on the school trip that they won as part of their prizes. That, that was the biggest um, sort of thing for them. They were really, really excited by that. And we've had some really lovely feedback um, from those visits as well. Um, where are Telling Tales um, regional activities concerned? Um, this was projects at eight different sites. So one school engaging with each site um, with the support of a writer in residence. Um, at each site and on-site staff, especially our education officers. Um, I want to sort of shout out to them. I know there's a few of them on the call today. Um, it wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, so I will go really, really quickly um, through these and to try and get through them all. Um, but basically we had projects at Corbridge Roman Town, a museum on Hadrian's Wall, Northumberland. We had a project at Revo Abbey in North Yorkshire, Kenilworth Castle in Warwickshire, Tintagel Castle in Cornwall, um, Stonehenge in Wiltshire, Battle Abbey in East Sussex, Steel Castle in Kent and Yarmouth Castle on the Isle of Wight. Um, so where the Corbridge um, project was concerned, um, we had it was year threes, they were taking inspiration from mystery objects um, found at the site. They were looking at Roman gods and their origins in Greek myth. Um, they were looking at 
develop the development of localized deities and sort of the creation of stories around those. Um, basically, the project opened up a really underused site. It's not a site that we had used very much for education in the past, um, but actually it sort of showed how much site staff, the museum collection and the collection stores, how much potential there is um, in that site. Um, and the teachers, you know, they'd visited Corbridge before, but they actually really appreciated the extra depth that the project went into um, and the opportunities surrounding it. This, this is echoed in a lot of the projects, to be honest, and um, it just gave teachers a completely different way of looking at our sites. Um, Revo, um, we had a mix of creative outcomes um, during the project, so this did include creative writing, but there was also visual art, there was performance, there was music um, as well. So some students performed musical pieces at our Illuminating Revo event um, as part of their involvement in the project. And one of the students actually created a musical composition inspired by some of the stories that they'd heard at Revo. Um, and the art department used the museum collection as inspiration for prints, um, which were then displayed alongside the museum collection um, in the museum. And um, so you can see some examples there at the bottom of the screen. Um, and they had a celebration day as well, involving sort of a tour of the site and musical performances around the Abbey as well. Kenilworth, um, this is a group of eight students. They were taking inspiration from the ruins of Kenilworth Castle, the people that lived there. They were looking at Warwickshire's tradition of ghost stories particularly. Um, they were a local school, they'd never visited Kenilworth before, um, despite being in Kenilworth. Um, and the students involved weren't um, able to go on the school's residential activity week for various different reasons. Um, and, you know, because of that, the school was actually already discussing bringing any students in similar positions in following years um, to the site because the project provided such a meaningful alternative for their group. Um, so we've really built a relationship there with the local school, which is fantastic. Um, Tintagel, um, they were year sixes from Camelford, so only a couple of miles inland. They were taking inspiration from the myths and legends associated with Tintagel, so obviously lots of Arthur, lots of Merlin, um, but they were also taking a lot of inspiration from the local landscape as well. Um, similarly to a lot of the other projects, um, the school was only a few miles away, um, but they hadn't visited Tintagel before. The children hadn't visited either, and most of the students didn't actually visit the beach very often either, um, which surprised a lot of us, I think. Um, but what the teachers fed back was that the stories that the students produced were actually much better than what the students would usually develop in the classroom. So they saw the value of the inspiration being found outside of the classroom environment in the historic landscape and um, for improving the quality of work um, and for raising attainment as well. The students were producing much better um, stories than they would have done before. Stonehenge, um, we had a local school that's recently moved um, to the area. Um, we had the help of one of our historic property stewards, Matt Pike, and um, he runs local ghost tours in Salisbury, and he's got a really intricate knowledge of the little known myths and legends based in the local landscape. Um, and this project was taking inspiration from the monument, the landscape, objects, costume, um, little known facts about Stonehenge. Um, and what was really great about this was that we had two classes involved, but they were coming at the project from very different angles. So year threes have been looking at prehistory at school. Um, and that's where the project fitted in with them, whereas year fours have been looking at myths and legends and legend writing. Um, so that really sort of showcases how sort of varied um, the school's approaches were to these projects um, and how they were tailored to fit what the school had in mind as well. Uh, Bat Labby was another kind of spin on the project um, in terms of um, public, the public speaking element um, that was in this project. So the students here were year nines, year tens. They were taking inspiration from um, Battle Abbey and the battlefield and obviously 1066, but they were also learning how to perform stories against the backdrop of the Abbey. 
So they developed their stories with the help of an author, um, James Aitchison, but they also built on their public speaking skills during a special workshop. And this was something that the students really valued. This was something that helped build their self-esteem, their self-confidence. Um, and to round off the project, um, there was a special celebration event at the Abbey involving students using their improved public speaking skills to perform their stories. Um, and you know, feedback is that there was a really noticeable difference in their confidence levels by the end of the project. Um, deal. Um, this was a local school. They walked to site and um, because they were so close. Um, and similarly to Stonehenge, we had one of our historic property stewards, as well as various other contributors, including a mariner um, and local history specialists, um, helping students take inspiration from local folklore um, and Deal Castle. And they were also sort of looking at confidence building a little bit um, during the project. And the students were initially quite nervous about writing stories. And actually, um, Lisa, our historic property judge, he led a session of guided visualisation, um, which really inspired the teacher to think about her classroom space a, a lot differently um, and how sort of things that we do on, on site or things that happen during the project could be replicated back in the classroom to look at developing stories in different ways um, and helping students to sort of visualise their stories in a very different way. Um, it also, the project also encouraged the class to get together at the beginning of the new school year. They developed their relationship with their teacher as well. You know, we ran these projects during the autumn term. Um, so this was the start of a new school year. Not everybody knew each other. Um, so these projects were sort of an anchor, if you like, um, to get those team building skills um, working. Finally, but by no means least, at Yarmouth Castle um, School, at Yarmouth um, Church in Primary School, literally two minute walk down the road. Um, you can pretty much see the school from the castle. Um, they were looking at shipwrecks um, around Yarmouth Castle. The school and the students had never been to Yarmouth Castle before, um, but similarly to very, you know, the other projects, their story writing greatly improved. They focused on developing vocabulary during the project, um, and they'd previously found group work really difficult, but this was something that was ameliorated um, during the project and teacher CPD as well. So continuing professional development sessions at the end of one of the in-school sessions has actually helped um, the teaching staff in their teaching of you know, myths and legends writing and creative writing. Um, so it's a way to sort of give back from the project and create that longer legacy going forward. Um, we have at the time of writing this, we had um, more classes from the school visiting the castle. We have more inquiries coming in from across the Isle of Wight um, and sort of opening up that site as more, um, more than it appears um, in terms of opportunity um, for learning outside the classroom. So just at a glance and trying to be as quick as possible. Um, we worked with a mixture of age groups on this project. We worked from Key Stage 2, so primary school up to Key Stage 5, um, A-level. We worked with eight different sites across England, one school at each. Um, we worked with three schools that had never previously engaged with us in any way before. Um, the sites were, that we used were diverse. We had castles, abbeys, prehistoric monuments. We had sites from five different time periods in all. And we worked with lots of external facilitators. So we had writers in residence, as I mentioned, but we also had you know, local history specialists, we had you know, mariners, we had all sorts of um, different contributors. Um, outcomes were many and various um, and were definitely dependent on the project, um, the, the particular project. Um, we had books made um, of all the students' stories um, for them to keep. Um, 
as a kind of memento of, of the project. But we also, as we said before about, um, about sort of diverse outcomes, we had musical performances at Revo, we had a focus on well-being at Deal, and we had a focus on performance um, as well at Bat Labby. And um, so each project was tailored to suit the needs of the groups that we were engaging in, their needs in terms of sort of transferable skills, but also curriculum topics as well. And in terms of feedback on this, as I've sort of alluded to, um, teachers, students, facilitators, and site staff really enjoyed working on this project. They enjoyed engaging with the sites in different ways. Um, teachers often hadn't previously appreciated how they could use these sites for cross-curricular working. They hadn't thought about using a heritage setting um, to teach English, for example. Um, we had lots of external facilitators, as I said, and they were all very enthusiastic and inspired by the sites and the projects that they worked on. And our staff really enjoyed gauging, engaging schools with their sites in new ways and were actually really keen to facilitate more of this kind of longer term engagement in the future. Um, so I think I'm going to hand very quickly back to Kate, um, who's going to talk about um, one of our winning entries to the national competition. Yeah, we just thought it would be a, a nice way to end um, with one of the stories um, from the um, national competition. Um, so this is from the 8 to 11 age category, um, the Lost Villagers of Craster um, by the beautifully named um, Isabel Butterfield. Have you ever been unsettled by the anguished cries of seagulls as you approach Dunstaber Castle on a foggy day? Villagers say that they tell of a tragedy long ago. It begins with the Craster family in 1272. The local lords of Craster, the village below the castle, had each in turn been good and kind to the villagers. Reginald Craster was no exception. He was lenient towards those that could not pay their taxes and cared not about the beauty of his bride, but the cleverness and kindness inside her. Then tragedy stuck, struck. While still young, Lord Craster died one night under suspicious circumstances. His nephew took his place a craster by name but not by heart. He was cruel and the villagers had to toil hard for only his selfish purposes. Fishermen would be gone for days trying to catch enough fish to please the Lord and anyone unable to pay their taxes would go without food until they paid up. As the new Lord's reign lengthened he became harsher expecting impossible things from his villagers. Taxes increased, punishments became unendurable. Life was hard for the villagers of Craster. One day, the nephew, for that was what the villagers called him, refusing to address him as their lord, was looking for a bride. He demanded that every house present him with their most beautiful maiden. At this, there was an uproar. In process to this abhorrent demand, the villagers formed a tight circle around their beautiful young women. A sudden wave of fury overcame the nephew and he set his dogs on the villagers, chasing them up to Dunstarber Castle, then off the edge of the cliffs. That instant, a strong sea fret rolled in, soaking, cloaking the cliffs in impenetrable mist. The villagers' bodies were never found. Legend has it that they turned into seagulls perched on the cliffs below the castle. They are never able to venture far from their weather-beaten stone ledges their piercing shrieks mourn the lives lost centuries ago. I'm, I'm gonna finish there, I think, Hannah. Yeah, oh, cool. <laughs>
Okay, I was just going to give a brief overview of our, our um, competition this year. Just pleased to say that we've um, managed to uh, another successful project despite this um, most unusual of years. Um, and this, this has been based around poetry this year uh, as part of the programme uh, co-curated by our poet in residence, Jacob Sam LaRose, um, and really just uh, encouraging young people um, to explore their places and communities. Um, and we've had, although a much shorter time frame, still 236 competition entries um, and uh, explored lots of themes, uh, cultures, traditions, childhood memories and perhaps unsurprisingly COVID um, and just to say that the winning entries, should anyone be interested in this um, will be brought together uh, in a digital anthology along with other amateur emerging and established poets and it will be available in the new year should that yeah, be of interest but thank you very much. <laughs>